Welcome back, friends, nerds, librarians, to episode 32 of the SS Librarianship <laughs> Podcast. It's an old-fashioned episode for you today. Yeah, it's just the two of us, which yeah. I cannot even remember the last time that we did that. <laughs> long, long time ago, I think. Uh, so we've got some mind grapes for you, including mm-hmm. a couple of book recommendations and uh, also a relatively in-depth discussion of Captain America 2 and the Winter Soldier. So if so, you have not seen it yet... Up top, spoiler warning. Yeah, not like, you know, any radical spoilers. Yeah, but just, just I, fun spoilers. Enough. That, enough. Yeah, if you're worried about that kind of thing, maybe wait till after you've seen it. But if you, yeah, if you haven't seen it, stop the podcast, go see it, mm-hmm. and then listen. It's also, fun. I guess, kind of minor spoilers for the latter half of uh, the first season of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah 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 just some minor ones she didn't want to spoil it for me because i haven't seen it yet mm-hmm. so. yeah so nothing That's nothing too dangerous <laughs> and then uh it, we're gonna do a class z z z z z yeah a little bit of a retrospective on grad school we are yeah. officially done and completed our mlis degrees yeah We'll have paper uh, in hand in a couple of weeks, but we are done. Yeah. And so we're just talking a little bit about some of the, uh, we're we're going to be wise, wise men on the mountain here. Mm -hmm. And we're going to give you a little bit of advice about the things that the really great things we did during our degree and maybe some of the things we wish we would have done differently. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess without further ado, uh, let's get this one started. I'm Ali Sullivan and Elydra. And I'm Sam Mills. And I believe the cultural incantation at this time is... Come to Papa. <laughs> so we're officially well into our like break. <laughs> let's call it a break. Let's call it. A, let's call it a break. A break yeah. of indeterminate length. Hey. <laughs> okay, uh, so what yeah. have you been doing to fill the time? Well, um, I wasn't in Mexico. So <laughs> I've been here in Vancouver. Um, My peeling thighs <laughs> want to argue with you about how awesome Mexico was. But anyway. Okay, now we've just earned our explicit rating. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> oh, I've been, uh, I got a book out of the library, which is overdue right now. I know, bad librarian. Um, we and do it more than anyone because we <laughs> use the library more than anyone. It's true. Um, so I was, I've been listening to a lot of book riot lately cause, uh, my last couple of weeks I was finishing up some projects with digital initiatives and it's, um, it's work that's not, it doesn't require a lot of like intellectual, uh, attention. So I was listening to a lot of podcasts and so I was listening to a lot of book riot and they kept going on about lexicon, uh, by Max Berry. And it's, uh, it sounded really interesting to me cause it's kind of a, it's not really science fiction or fantasy. It's kind of almost magical realism because there's a magic in it, but it's um, it's not like a traditional kind of magic. So that seems to be a genre that you're pretty into, magical yeah. realism. Just, I mean, Anubis Gates was sort of a similar story. I know some of our shared taste is in. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like, I like the books where it's like, it's our world, but something is slightly different. Which is actually Philip K. Dick's definition of science fiction. Well, so. there you go. So maybe, maybe it is more science fiction. I, I just don't, I don't describe it a science fiction tag because it's not, um, it's not necessarily about the kinds of traditional science fiction things that we think of. Like, it's not about technology's gone wrong or it's not about you know space travel or anything like that it's about um it's uh, sort of about these this group of people and the magic revolves around words so the kind of general premise uh is that there's this uh kind of underground group sort of like x-men sort of like harry potter-ish where like mm. they find out 
individuals, they seek out individuals uh, talented in this particular area, have certain skills, and then train them up. Um, so the idea is that every every human on the planet falls into one of about, mm, I can't remember the exact number, it's about 260 personality types. That's actually quite, like, optimistic, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And, and in these personality types, like, each different personality type has a specific set of words that that are influential to them. Like, influential on a uh, sort of primal level. Like, not just... It's it's not just persuasion. It's not just, but you can actually, with a certain set of words, kind of brainwash people a little bit. Wow. And like, you know, get them to do things that they would not normally do. Or, you know, like you can, you can talk people into doing things like, I need to borrow your car, you know, and that's how you get around from place to place. Is you're you're stealing cars, but no one's going to report like no matter you for how it. you train the agents, you're going to get like an NSA situation where people are just using this for their own gain. Well, yeah, and, and I think it's uh, I think it's supposed to be a rather small organization. And then um, one of the kind of the, the 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 tricks of it is they're all called poets. They call themselves poets, mm. and so their kind of code names are all then taken from famous poets. So like the head of the organization is Yates, and then um, you know, there's there's Frost and Elliot and Wolf and that kind of stuff. So revealing the author's <laughs> feelings about the hierarchy of poets, I guess. Yeah, which I I mean <laughs> I think it would be really interesting to do kind of a catalog of of which which poets he's using, and then and then later on in the book you realize that there are also international elements. So you get uh, you get Gotha and you get uh, a Pushkin and that kind of stuff. So oh. it's it's a really interesting book. I, I feel like I know it's already overdue, but I kind of feel like I need to read it again. So it might be one of those ones that I give back to the library and then, you know, put myself back on the hold list for it and read it again. <laughs> because it's um it's got a very complicated timeline and it's kind of got two protagonists that sort of weave in and out of each other's stories. And um, the story is told in, in, in a disjunct timeline way. So like mm. sometimes you're jumping forward, sometimes you're jumping back. And, um, it's a, it's a really interesting book. Um, I'm not, I don't know if I like it yet or not. <laughs> that's a, that's what I really think I need that reread for. Well, that's sort of interesting. I mean, sometimes a book will capture your, your interest without mm-hmm. necessarily capturing your, your love. Like I yeah. felt like that about Gone Girl. There was a lot going on. It was very intricately plotted. Mm-hmm. The process of reading it was enjoyable, but I don't yeah. think I would read it again now that I've had the experience yeah. of it. Like, I think I think I need to read it again to decide whether or not I like it mm-hmm. because I've also been um, I've also been reading it kind of in late at night too. Like it's like my before bed book, and mm-hmm. I and I find that I'm just having a little bit of trouble grasping at the at the complexity of the concepts. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people where if a book has some sort of magic kind of element in it, and I would say that this is almost like a magic, mm-hmm. I really, I want there to be rules and I want the rules to be very specific. And like, um, like you've seen Looper, right? Yeah. You know how they're talking about how they, they're not going to lay out straw diagrams to figure out the time travel intricacies. No, I want, the, that I want also those. made me angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm the kind of person who's like, I want my I magic. I like time travel stories because I like the explanation part. Yes. Yeah. And like if it's if it's a magic like I mean the magic in, in Harry Potter has some rules to it or mm-hmm. like you know has has methodologies and I feel like lexicon 
has those, but they never explicitly lay them out for you. Like you can kind of infer to build them into exposition. Yeah, without doing info dumps but and like in, it's like annoying possible. stuff like I that. I mean, Rowling actually did it quite well. Yeah, and I think Rowling. I think by centering it around the school. Um, cause there is, there is like a school in lexicon too. Like, cause the, one of the main characters does get kind of, you know, chucked into this, this program in this school and they, they do some plot exposition, but I feel like, like not quite enough, but not, I, I think it's, um, not quite enough for me. Like, I think for mm-hmm. some, the, that kind of little bit of mystery of not knowing exactly how this works. And I think a lot of the characters in the book don't know exactly how it works yet, even at the higher echelons, because like one of the major plot points of the book is they're they're developing this thing that that is really dangerous and nobody really understands. So I'm not going to give too much of that away. Which but. I suppose provides room for sort of bucking the rules and rebellion yeah. or whatever. Like I'm thinking about the Adjustment Bureau, which mm-hmm. is actually Philip K. Dick, although the, the movie is what I'm more familiar with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they never fully explain the rules to that system. And as a result... Matt Damon's character is able to like buck said <laughs> system in a really interesting yeah. way. Right. Well, that's that's kind of the that's kind of the, the main driving plot point is is the the organization kind of explodes, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know yeah I, I don't want to give too much of it away because it is a very like uh, uh, twisty turny kind of book too, which is probably mm-hmm. another reason why I'm having a little bit of trouble grasping onto it. Yeah, not um, great for nighttime reading. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the big sort of plot twists I kind of saw coming, and uh, again it was one of those like. Yes, but also, damn it, <laughs> kind of moments. Yeah. But um, Lexicon, I think they said, uh, like, Book Riot was crazy about it. They put it out in their latest, um, like, book box. It was oh, the free book yeah, they put out in their book yeah. box. They, and, I, you know, it's, I think it's really worth a read. I think that if you like that that kind of thing, and um, I, I really, like I said, I don't know, I can't decide if I've liked it yet or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's definitely interesting and it's definitely cool to think about. And I think it's a really cool premise. Um, I think Max Berry does a really good job of kind of laying out the world a little bit without, except I, I would have liked a little more explanation on the magic, but well, you may get it, I guess, or if there's yeah. more in the series or something. I don't know if it's going to be a series cause the, this one was just published last year. Mm. Uh, it was Lexicon was just last year. So I'm not sure if. Um, and I haven't quite, I should also say I haven't quite finished it yet. I'm about 20 pages off the end. Um, so if, if something really, <laughs> those yeah. whole 20 pages are just a manual for how hey. magic works <laughs> in my perfect world. Um, so, you know, maybe next week I can, I can tell you definitively whether I like it or not. Cause I haven't okay. quite finished the book, but, um, but I'm really, in, uh, I'm enjoying it kind of. I, I think I need to reread it though. <laughs> okay. Well, what have you been up to, Sam? Uh, I have also been reading um, something rather antithetical to like the sort of literary complexity <laughs> of the book that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a couple of books with me on vacation mm-hmm. to Mexico. Uh, one was Night Watch by Terry Pratchett, which I've read several times before. Right. I love and I enjoyed my reread of that a lot. But um, What happened to your one, rereading? Oh, I gave it up after I reread Passwatch. <laughs> we talked about this. <laughs> Nothing wrong with failing in a New Year's <laughs> Especially um, when it's May. But actually, I am reading a new, or at least new to me, book. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've mentioned before, I read all those Michael Crichton novels. My mother, because she helps run this uh, used bookstore in Squamish that raises money for literacy up there, will occasionally grab some books that she thinks I'll like and mm-hmm. bring them to me whenever we see each other. And so the last uh, round that she grabbed were a few old Star Trek novels. Oh, wow. And one of them is Sarah. Your kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually been a long time since I've read a new, to me, Star Trek novel 
that was any good, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least in my estimation. So I brought this with me in case I finished Nightwatch early, which I did. And I actually am really enjoying it. Oh, this good. is by A.C. Crispin, who has written quite a few Star Trek novels and I think a few Star Wars Expanded Universe novels as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called Sarek. It's sort of got the original Star Trek logo and then the title Sarek, so it's part mm-hmm. of that series, but it's yeah. an unnumbered one, which I'm getting extra nerdy here, but people who've read Star Trek novels <laughs> will know that within each, um, at least in the 90s, and this book was written in 94, uh, which was sort of the heyday of like the pocketbooks Star Trek division, um, yep. publishing a lot of titles, there would be numbered books. Okay. And those would just sort of be like sequentially in a series and there would be a series of those numbered books for each title. So for Voyager, for Deep Space Nine, et cetera. And then each series would also occasionally have an unnumbered title. Mm-hmm. And it was usually something kind of special like uh, okay. Imzadi, which is one of the biggest next generation novels of all time, which tells mm-hmm. the backstory of uh, Riker and Troy is an unnumbered novel. Um, and this one is as well. And so it's... It's really interesting. It's focusing on the character of Sarek, who is Spock's father. Mm -hmm. Um, Mark Leonard most famously portrayed him both in the original series and in uh, Next Generation, although they recast him for the 2009 movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) it's funny, actually, the author says in her introduction that she thanks him in part because he actually signed off on the premise and I think the draft. Oh, cool. (laughs) Which is really neat. Like he felt enough ownership of the character to actually Mm -hmm. take a look at it. So it's set just after uh, Star Trek VI, which is the last original series movie, the one with Mm -hmm. the assassination of the Klingon Chancellor and all of that. So it's sort of this this moment in the Star Trek universe of like tension between the Klingons and the Federation. And um, Sarek is still a very highly placed ambassador. Mm -hmm. And so it's following him and he's uncovering... uh, this sort of far-reaching conspiracy that's trying to throw a spanner into the works of this growing alliance between the Federation and the Klingons, which is okay. really interesting. But also it's set at a time when Spock's mother, Amanda, who is a human, uh, is dying. Oh. And so Sarek is on this kind of really important diplomatic mission at the same mm-hmm. time as his wife is dying. And the fact that he leaves while she's dying drives a wedge between him and Spock. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all kind of, you know, it's it's soapy for a Star Trek novel because it's yeah. very much about these family dynamics, but it's so well done in terms of the characterization. And it must be one of the earliest times when someone, at least in something published uh, in the Star Trek universe, really delved into this relationship between Spock and Sarek and delved into Spock's decision to go into Starfleet. And mm-hmm. I mean, all of that was done in the 2009 movie and it was done pretty well. Yeah. But this is far before that. <laughs> this yeah. would have been something that was maybe only accessible to the harder core fans who would actually pick up this novel and read it. Do you think but, that uh, Sarek had any influence on the way that they tackled it in the, the 2009 no, movie? No, actually, it's interesting. I think the 2009 movie, I mean, you know, we can go off on a tangent about it. Oh, but let's not. I think, um, <laughs> I think they were trying to to sow the seeds of conflict in a really obvious way in that movie. Mm. And so rather than going into something between Spock and one or more of his parents, they had him kind of bucking the whole system by having mm-hmm. the Vulcan Science Academy guys really yep. obviously and in kind of an unvulcan way mm-hmm. insult his mother and his family. Yeah, <laughs> that, that always seemed a little weird to me. Uh, whereas it's very clear in sort of Sarek's rememberings of that time in their lives that the Science Academy was happy to have Spock. <laughs> yeah. And it was really all him and Sarek being at odds with each other about mm-hmm. his decision to go into Starfleet instead. So, so are you trying to say that J.J. Abrams lacks subtlety? <laughs> How you said you? it, How at least you? this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Star Wars fans. 
I'm so sorry for you. Yeah, my, my heart goes out to Star Wars fans today. <laughs> At any rate, um, the other really interesting thing about this novel, especially because it is about this male figure and his relationship with his son um, and his thoughts about that, as well as their active relationship during this sort of the death of Spock's mother and the uncovery of this um, conspiracy and everything is that it has a couple of really interesting female characters in it as well. Oh, cool. So Amanda is a character in it at the beginning. And then as she's dying and as Sarek is leaving, which she is very understanding about, even if mm-hmm. Spock isn't, she gives him her journals. Mm-hmm. And so what the author has also done um, is really give more voice to Amanda than she ever mm-hmm. had in any of the canon stories or yeah. movies or anything. And often his recollections of times in his life will be spurred by like a few pages of her journal that he's reading and then mm-hmm. he'll actually go into the actual flashback. Okay. And... And it really fleshes her out as a character. I mean, it talks about her career as a teacher, as a translator of Vulcan writings and poetry, Mm -hmm. her relationship with her son, the fact that she left Sarek at a certain point when he Mm -hmm. excommunicated Spock for going to Starfleet Academy. Right. It was just a really neat way of sort of carving out this corner of a very large universe and fleshing it out, which Mm -hmm. the best Star Trek novels, probably the best expanded universe novels in any um, property yeah. are really good at doing. Mm-hmm. And so this one, I, I'm not quite done it yet, but I would highly recommend it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. The other really interesting one is, because um, I said female characters, plural, mm-hmm. <laughs> is uh, Valdir, who is this young Klingon woman um, at a time when it was still not super cool for Klingon women to be warriors. <laughs> and yeah. uh, her family is sort of highly placed in this conflict that's happening between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. Mm-hmm. And she ends up as the jailer of Kirk's nephew, which is a very kind of convoluted Star Trek novel way to bring bring characters together. Yeah, okay. But their relationship <laughs> is very interesting as well. And I think she's sort of being poised at the point in the novel I'm at to possibly be a part of like what brings peace about between yeah. the Federation and the Klingons. So. so it's like a Keeley and Evangeline Lilly situation in the latest Hobbit movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She was never necessarily there in canon. It was very mm-hmm. much these male political figures like Sarek yeah. and Worf's grandfather and all these people who were involved in, you know, Kittimer, mm-hmm. but that she's going to be a key figure behind the scenes, mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting way for AC Crispin to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, cause I think it's, it's difficult to introduce female characters into expanding universes in a, in a major role. Yeah, because but it's, it's it nice would... to see authors try. Oh, yes. <laughs> I commend them for that. I mean, that's sure. been part of the problem that a lot of Star Wars fans have been having over the past week as those cast photos have been yeah. put out, right, is that, you know, where are the ladies? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I think they're, I think that, and then there there was a subsequent announcement that Lupita Nyong'o is, is going to be involved, which is fantastic. Doesn't even out the numbers, but it's no, great. It, it doesn't. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's just it, it baffles me sometimes um, to look at these kinds of photos, and you know maybe it's just because I've got um, I've got uh, you know my filter bubble of. Of, of Tumblr and feminism that I just get really kind of outraged when I see these things. And I'm just like, why? There is no yeah. reason. Do you, do you guys not, does nobody else read the same things I read? Like, yeah. And I think it's probably that is the case. Oh, I'm sure it is, but it's also just, yeah, it's difficult when you're exposed to the parts of the culture that are actively talking about these problems. Yeah. And actively talking about that kind of representation issue and whatever to... It's hard to get why they don't get it. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> like, just like, but what is like, what is the what is the point? Like, where yeah. what do they think? Because 
I mean, you you sometimes hear people who are on the other side say things like, well, the per, the studios won't produce movies because they think no one's going to see them. But then, you know, if you actually look at the realities and the numbers yeah. and the figures, they, they don't reflect that. No, they're not you know? looking at their numbers. They're listening to their white, straight male guts, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it, yeah I just, it just it completely baffles me. Yeah. Um, and it, anyway. is, it is changing, but it's not changing fast enough. And people <laughs> like J.J. Abrams are, you know, we could go on and on, but they are poised to do something about it and they don't do enough. Yeah, yeah. And, and I really think that they should. Um, Which is why Star Wars fans should, you know, cling even tighter to their amazing, impressive, expanded universe full mm-hmm. of really interesting, diverse characters. Oh, totally. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. And I guess the last thing we wanted to talk about a little bit was there was something that we both did. Yeah. Separately, but we can chat about it now. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're a little behind the curve, I guess. Yeah. Although it's still all over the internet. So. <laughs> um, well, uh, you went and saw it first, and I wasn't going to see it because I love I love me some Marvel, and I love the Avengers, and, you know... I I really like that whole universe and, um, you know, with the, with the whole woman problem accepted. Mm. Um, but I wasn't going to go see the winter soldier because Captain America is probably the least interesting person in the Marvel really to me. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, uh, it just, it's like, it's like Superman. I have, I have no, I have no interest in Superman. See, it was the Captain America movie, the initial one, that actually got me interested in the Marvel movies at all. See, because I didn't see that one until much, much later. Because again, I didn't mm-hmm. go, I didn't go see that one um, because I was like, well, it doesn't really interest me. Iron Man, I find kind of interesting. Um, you know, like uh, I enjoyed the Iron Man movies, but I wasn't yeah. really invested in this new set of Marvel movies until Captain America: The First Avenger. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but I thought it was. But then, then I heard so many great things about it. And people were like, oh, you should really go see it. It's a great movie. It's a really fun time. You know, it's your classic Marvel smash em up, but it still has really strong elements to it. Mm-hmm. And um, and a War Games joke. Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I went and saw it and I loved it. It was great. I thought it was a fantastic movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, what did, what did you think, Sam? I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I really like Captain America as a character anyway. I really... I liked the representation of his transformation and the way that a lot of the qualities that make him effective as Captain America are the ones that um, that he had prior to, you know, being super soldiered yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, and so I really enjoyed that first movie. I mean, I thought it was really well done. I thought he was a really compelling hero. Mm-hmm. I loved his friendship with Bucky in the first one, so I love that we're getting more of that relationship. Mm-hmm. I also really, and it started in the Avengers, but it's definitely taken off in this new kind of middle Captain America movie. Mm -hmm. I love the idea that they've created a Captain America for the 21st century Mm -hmm. by having him be against the thing that, I don't know, it makes sense for someone like him to be against in the 21st century, which is the use of information in suspect mm-hmm. ways. Like yeah. the fact that that this new incarnation of Captain America for today wants information to be free yeah. is kind of an amazing stroke of, yeah. of genius in terms of storytelling. Like no, it really I, I makes him very was. compelling and very um very much more a character you can get behind mm-hmm. than if he was just, you know, back to toe the shield company line. Right. Yeah. 
I think one of the things I really enjoyed too is something that uh, I also enjoyed in Pacific Rim, and I feel like it's it's a relationship dynamic that we're getting more and more, and that I like more and more mm. is the uh, platonic friendship between Black Widow. And I really Cap. enjoyed that too. You know, yeah, and um. Did you see the Anthony Mackie interview where he was talking about how uh, secretly, secretly yeah. it was it was going to be Black Widow and Falcon? But the whole time, I could not help but notice she was wearing a little necklace with an arrow on it. Oh, really? Did you notice a whole movie? She's got this Aww. little necklace with an arrow nice. on it, and then you know my my heart kind of went yeah. But I really like kind of fleshing out a platonic female male relationship that is their friends mm-hmm. they are they're legitimate and they're colleagues and, and colleagues that colleagues. respect each other's abilities and sort of by the end of that movie are willing to put their lives in each other's hands which yeah. is pretty great too yeah and you know and i i really like that i really like that dynamic because so often the media feeds us these messages of you know oh well you know straight men and straight women can't be friends or mm-hmm. or whatever like it doesn't matter you're you're hey, speak to yourself. But... I'm holding out hope for a bisexual Captain America. Oh, that can happen great. in the third one. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, because he hasn't. He hasn't had a girlfriend yet. Mm. Oh, that would be nice. Well, be because fun. I think the reason people have become so um, enamored of the relationship between Cap and Bucky is in mm. large part because it is this friendship that spanned a big power dynamic shift. Yeah. And stayed intact. Mm-hmm. And so even if you just read it as a friendship, which lots of people do, it's a really compelling one. And yeah. it's enough to make people want to write fan fiction about it and create mm-hmm. art about it and discuss what's going to happen in the third movie about it, mm-hmm. quite aside from any sort of romantic pairing that, yeah. of course, is also a very popular thing on Tumblr right now. <laughs> um, but oh, yeah, Slashfic. either way they decide to go with that. And I think they could legitimately go either way. Mm-hmm. The third movie is going to be really compelling because yeah. of that, because of the fact that that this is a person who knew him and respected him and loved him before he was Captain America mm-hmm. and was able to make the shift yeah. of following him. Yeah, there was there was Captain no America, there was right? no like threat to his masculinity about yeah. it. There was yeah, because because sometimes I feel like that that could have that could have been a, a relationship dynamic that they explore because like now now Cap is the masculine one and Bucky could be mad about that, but no, they never were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so I think that's why. Just on the surface, again, friendship level, comrade level, mm-hmm. that's why it's so important to Steve to save Bucky, right? Yeah. And so that's that's going to be, if that's part of the third movie, or if that happens somehow between movies, mm-hmm. you know, either way, that's going to be a really compelling story, I think. And I also did love the comment in the car when she was bugging him about <laughs> dating people, and he was like, well, it's kind of hard to find someone with shared life experience. Yeah. Like, you know, all, this, all the stucky shippers in the audience yeah. go, woo-wee. <laughs> But uh, no, it was a great movie. And Anthony Mackie as Falcon was so what a, good. What a joy and a delight yeah. that human being is. Yeah. Uh, I just love... I love that he's using his newfound microphone to be like, make a frigging Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, but I think that there could totally be... Um, I think there should be a Black Widow movie. I think she could mm-hmm. totally carry her own movie. Absolutely. Um, she's I've, carried a lot of everyone else's movies. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I really think that there should be, uh, an, an, I, I know they've tried it twice and that it's been really painful, but I want a Hulk movie. I want, I, I don't know. I enjoyed both of them. Did you know? I maybe I've wasn't, only I wasn't as invested one. in Marvel back then as I am now. And so yeah. maybe that's part of why. Hmm. And I do think that Ruffalo has done the best job yeah. of anyone. He's just so adorable. Yeah. He's just but I enjoy both of the other ones. I yeah. mean, the second one had Liv Tyler, so I couldn't not enjoy it. Oh, I didn't know. I haven't seen the second one. I've only seen the Ang Lee one. Oh, so. Yeah. But that had Eric Bana, which 
mm-hmm. I think Eric Bana is gorgeous. Yeah. Also awesome. But um, but yeah, no, um, Winter Soldier was great. Yeah, no, I, I really su- enjoyed I it. I really enjoyed the movie. I really also am enjoying the fallout from it on yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> oh, see, because that's like, I, I watched the first few episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D. and just didn't, it didn't catch me. But now that I know what I know about what I know, what I know, yeah. um, I kind of want to go back to it and be like, how are they going to get really out of should, this? Because it has gotten right around when Captain America was released and then in the subsequent weeks, mm-hmm. it has gotten really good. I think oh, I've cool. missed two episodes now. I'm a couple behind, but... The fallout from that, like the fact that they were willing to take what happens in Captain America 2 and mm-hmm. like, eh, here be minor spoilers for those of you listening. I'm going to try we'll, we'll not put to a spoiler blow warning out up top. Yeah. Too much. But um, the fact that they were able to, that they were willing to take a first season show and torpedo their own premise, basically. Yeah. And that's brave. And see what happens next. <laughs> like, oh, it's really, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and well, it, it was starting brothers, to get really. a little formulaic in the middle. Yeah. And so this was really smart. And I'm not sure if it happened because they wrote Cap 2 and went, okay, let's find out what the you know fallout of this is going to be on S.H.I.E.L.D. or if mm-hmm. it was some kind of collaboration because they knew they wanted to shake things up on S.H.I.E.L.D. But yeah. either way, it's been really good. Everything, as as things get worse for the characters on that <laughs> show, it gets better. And I don't know why that's a surprise because it's a Joss Whedon show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and uh, <laughs> the guy who plays Ward, and I cannot for the life of me think of his name, don't don't count him out. Hmm. He seems very generic at the beginning of that show. Yeah, the, 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 he's the main kind of secret but agent they dude, have right? Made him that generic for a reason. Okay, yeah, mm. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. Well, it looks like we've got a couple of book recommendations for you this week in uh, Max Berry's Lexicon and Sarek by AC Crispin. There we go. It is a deep Star Trek cut, but if yeah. you know that kind of thing, it's really enjoyable. <laughs> and uh, we both really loved A Winter Soldier, so it'll still be at your local Megaplex, I am certain. Probably um, until the third one comes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this week on Class Z. 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 Zed, my <laughs> intro. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a, a retrospective. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're about a month out from yep. finishing our MLIS degrees. Mm-hmm. Or the coursework of it anyway. Yeah, that's true. About a week out from, I guess, you know, the grades are out and everything else. Yeah. Now, right? Yeah. And uh, as much as we are, you know, still searching for those perfect full-time jobs oh, and all yes. of that, Landing we have, we them have big completed fish. these degrees. And that's, that's a big deal. Right? That's yeah. an accomplishment. Yeah. Um, and we know that some of you are still working on these or similar degrees um, mm-hmm. or thinking about doing them maybe. And so what we thought we'd do is go through a little of sort of our do's and don'ts for, yeah. I mean, for a program like ours, but I think they probably apply to grad school and maybe even, you know, school programs across the board in some yeah. ways as well. So we've got about five do's each. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then a few don'ts. And then a few don'ts, things to avoid kind of thing. So it's a little bit of a a preachy advice episode today. A little bit. And feel free (laughs) to, you know, respond back to us as you listen to this. Yeah, for sure. at us in the middle of the night and be like, no, you're wrong. (laughs) I always love getting those. (laughs) Uh, So, Hallie, do you want to go first? Do you want to give us? Sure. One, so, one do for grad school? Absolutely. I can give you one of my one of my do's. Um, so my first one is, uh, my first piece of advice is don't be afraid of your professors and your instructors. Mm. Um, because I found that in my degrees before this one, I was the kind of student who never went to office hours. I was always just deathly afraid of, of those in authority. Oh, me too. I never went to office hours until it was yeah. the last term of my degree and I had yeah. to find an honors advisor. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like I was always a little bit, a little bit 
afraid of professors. I always thought I was kind of, I was going to be bothering them, you know, mm. like they have so, like so little time and blah. Um, but I feel like in, in library school and in other graduate programs as well, I mean, they're actually, this, part of their job is to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Part of their job is to mentor you. And and some of the, the best relationships I had um, at library school were with professors that I um, decided I liked a lot and wanted to get to know a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and work for. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up doing a research assistant job with a professor I really like and really respect. And, um, you know, I think that I wouldn't have done that before. I think I would have been a little bit too afraid. So, um, you know, definitely get to know them, go to their office hours, talk to them about your coursework mm-hmm. as well, because that will definitely help you. And talk It'll, to them about their projects too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because they're in lie jobs. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and, and they can potentially introduce you to do new sides of the profession. Like mm-hmm. maybe you hadn't considered that idea before, but it seems really interesting to you or, you know, just, just don't be, don't be afraid to talk to the people who are teaching you. Um, they're there for you and they're most of the time really you're paying their salary, you're paying too. their salary. So <laughs> <laughs> they're most of the time, I mean, I can't speak for, for all professors everywhere all the time, but most of the time they're very nice people. They're mm-hmm. very intelligent people. They're very, um, sensitive to what you're doing and and they're knowledgeable. And Do you think it was yeah. the smaller size of our program or just the experience that you've had, had before or like what made you more comfortable this time around? I think it's a combination of things. I think that it's... Um, it is that it's a little bit of a smaller program with a little bit more of a specific focus. Mm. Um, I also think that it's just a maturity thing. Yeah. Where like I I'm just in general not as afraid as people people as I used to be. <laughs> Those are also adult humans, and they will be okay with yeah. talking to me. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think it's a little bit of an adult human thing. Like um, I, I recognize now that I'm not necessarily just bothering people, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's also yeah. It was just I was also just fascinated with what they were doing and what they were thinking about. So um, so yeah, that's definitely yeah yeah. A couple do. of the I mean I don't know about you, but a couple of those sort of you know, research assistant gigs that I ended up with were mm-hmm. actually because I had genuinely expressed some interest in what yeah. these professors were working on. Absolutely. And yeah, they, they appreciate that. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I don't, I don't think that you should make these relationships with the explicit idea of this will get me a job. No. Um, but, um, you know, sometimes it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it, because I, like I can have, I had kind of two professors particularly that I really, really loved. And one of them I did get an RA-ship with. And the other, even though I expressed interest and I talked to her a lot, she didn't have anything for me. And I didn't, you know, I didn't take that personally. Yeah, and you still um, got a lot out of that relationship. And I still got right? a lot out of that relationship. She's, she's an absolutely fascinating person and um, kind of want to be here when I grow up. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got someone like that that yeah. I met during this degree, too. <laughs> I don't want her ears to go red, so I won't, I won't say <laughs> Um All right. What about you, Sam? What's your first so, do? So my first one, and I mean, I didn't write them down in any particular order per oh. se, but uh, is I really am glad that I took courses taught by adjunct professors. Yeah. There's probably different terms for that role in different institutions or different programs, but at SLACE, when we talk about adjuncts, we mean working librarians or working information professionals who come in for a semester often in often nights because they're still working mm-hmm. and teach a course. Yep. And I think it's really important to get the the more theoretical and more sort of academically grounded courses be taught by regular faculty members and I'm glad I took those but 
what I wasn't necessarily expecting and what I'm really glad I got out of this degree were those opportunities to actually take courses with and work with and learn from people who were actually working Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and who had really kind of solid intel to give us on Mm -hmm. what it's actually like to work in you know, the systems department at an academic library, which yeah. was one of the librarians I took a course from, or um, work, you know, at a high level in a public library in collection management, which the person who taught my collection management course had done that. Mm-hmm. And I think those are not necessarily the most rigorous courses academically, mm-hmm. but they really make you think about the more practical parts of the profession. Yeah, And they'll often make you go into a lot of depth about things like budgeting or marketing or... Uh, you know, community needs assessment or whatever in your different mm-hmm. projects than a more academically focused course will. And yeah. so I'm really glad that I got that opportunity. I would say if you have the opportunity to do that, do it. <laughs> yeah, because it also gives you uh, a more realistic picture. Because mm-hmm. like, don't get me wrong, I loved the academic, uh, the people we had on the academic side of our oh, degree. I, yeah. I really loved all the professors I had. It I wouldn't be I a master's degree without that component, and I'm glad we had it. Yeah, but um, at the same time, a lot of them haven't been in the profession for very long, and in or, or for very long, in a very long time is what I meant yeah. to say. Um, well, some of them basically went straight through grad school yeah. and became professors too. Yeah. So um, having that kind of person who can kind of tell you the current realities of the profession is nice too mm-hmm. um, because librarianship is such a dynamic and changing profession and there are mm-hmm. so many different ways it's going. And, and one and, of the um, things yeah. pedagogically that adjuncts will rely on is case studies. Absolutely. And case studies were invaluable. Those are so valuable. Like yeah. I feel like more of our academic professors should try and integrate those somehow. We mm-hmm. talked about this a bit in the in the cataloging discussion, but yeah. um, but I always really appreciated getting a case study to work on and having a person who had actually been in that kind of situation mm-hmm. as a leader to bounce my ideas off of. That yeah. Was, yeah, invaluable. And and sometimes to to bounce an idea off of that they haven't even they haven't considered for themselves. Yeah, and that's always really great when you yeah. get an adjunct who is a working professional be like, I hadn't thought about doing it that way. And you're like, Yes. Yes, yeah. Because <laughs> then you then you, you, know, you get a little bit of pride in you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what about you? What's your next one? My next one is um, one that I'm sure a lot of people already know, and that is work. Mm. As as you know, as a uh, work get get some professional experience under your belt. It's it's it was completely invaluable to my experience. And um, coming in to library school, a lot of people told me, I'm sure they told you too, you know, oh, the grades don't really matter anymore. Whatever you do in your professional experience is going to be more important. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that it was more important. I still think that I got a huge amount of, of information from the classes. I'm one of those Mm -hmm. people who's really glad I did this degree. Um, and, and I loved, I loved doing it. <laughs> I loved doing the work for, for my classes. Yeah. But at the same time, that professional experience is, is incredible. Um, yeah, I think if you're a program like this that is meant to pump out professionals that are going to yeah. go work in institutions outside of academia mm-hmm. needs to have that professional component. And that's a thing that our department actually does really well. Yeah. And um, my kind of attached to that is apply to jobs that may scare you just mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, take the opportunity of yeah. like... You're supposed to be an amateur while you're yeah. still during doing your degree, so they will teach you on the job. Exactly, yeah. and it's also like um, you know, it's 
for a lot of the jobs we do, it's not a permanent or long, even long-term position. Sometimes they're three-month jobs, they're summer jobs, they're eight-month mm-hmm. jobs. So if you do a job that scares you a little, and if you go into it and you don't end up liking it that much, then it's going to be a limited term. You know, you're not you're not throwing yourself into something, diving in with both feet mm-hmm. to something that you don't know what you're doing. Um, so yeah, so for for kind of an example, I can talk about that co-op job that I did. I had a little bit of web design experience and I was interested in the ideas behind information architecture, but I didn't really know. And it and I was interested, but again, I was a little bit scared. And mm-hmm. even though that was not the best co-op experience I could have ever had, I got extremely valuable skills and, um, you know, learned something about myself that I love technology and that it it completely changed the path of my degree. So, um, yes, get professional experience if you can, you know, if you're the kind of person who's, who's shy and scared of public service, do some public service. Yeah. If you're the kind of person who is afraid of technology, do something with technology. Like just, just so you know that you can, or, you know, to know Honestly, that, you know, you to, don't want, you know, to. you don't yeah. want to. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my second one. Awesome. Um, <laughs> that actually segues really well into my second well, one. It's like we planned You're it. welcome. Uh, which is to, yeah, to not shy away from the technological aspects of the degree. I mean, obviously this isn't necessarily going to apply to people who are in computer science degrees or whatever, because that's what their degree is all about. But if yeah. you're in a profession like ours, a, de- a program like ours that, has a technological component that you can go into as shallowly or as deeply as you want to, yeah, go a little deeper than you think you want to. <laughs> um, and I mean, I think I learned a lot about my capacity for learning and accomplishing technology projects mm-hmm. for sure. Like we both came from arts backgrounds, which yep. a lot of people do in library school. Yeah. And some people challenge themselves more than others. I'm sure I could have challenged myself even more <laughs> to go more <laughs> deeply into the technology side of things. I discovered that I still really love the public service and sort of teaching aspects. And so those were my focus in terms of most of my jobs. But I did take a job for three months at the Burnaby Art Gallery that was pretty technologically focused. I learned a Mm -hmm. lot about working with Excel and working with databases. Taking the database design class was Mm. fantastic. And it's not a required class, but I feel like it should be just because... Even if this moment, if you sat me down in front of Access or MySQL, <laughs> I, I couldn't build you no, a, a database. I'd need to review. What I understand now, though, is the structure of databases. Yeah. Is how parts of databases query each other and how pretty much every information system we use, especially in our profession, has some kind of database underlying it. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand what the word database meant <laughs> before yeah. this degree. And it's kind of an important term to know as a librarian. Mm-hmm. So even if it just gives you that background knowledge so that when you encounter that concept or that thing again, or you have a project where you're supposed to accomplish something with that type of technology, mm-hmm. you have some kind of background to delve into. Yeah. Or even an adjunct or a classmate that you met in that technology experience mm-hmm. in your degree who you can call on to be like, oh my yeah. God, how do I do this? Like, <laughs> remember. Um, So yeah, I would say do not shy away from those parts of it. Grad school is, like especially within an MLIS program, it's a place where you can play around with things you're not super comfortable with, whether Mm -hmm. it's web design or database design or coding or whatever. And there isn't a lot of risk in terms of No one's going to expect you to be an expert. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely can kind of endorse that do Mm -hmm. um, because yeah, I always knew I was interested in technology, but I never knew how much I could I could really love it. So, yeah, awesome. great. So, what's what's your number three? Uh, my number three is um, if you're this is sort of 
um, speaks to the MLIS program particularly, um, and it's about coursework and the kinds of coursework that you do. So some programs are highly, highly technical. Some programs are highly, highly academic. Um, I, one of the things I love the most about Slice was how balanced it could be. And mm -hmm. I, my kind of third do is to try to balance your coursework um, between things that are technical and that are uh, practical and things that are a little bit more academic. Mm -hmm. And um, also to, to kind of follow your, follow your interests too. Um, and it, it's kind of a difficult balance to strike because, um, you know, there are certain classes we're all told that we have to take or that we should take. And, and sometimes something that you may find really interesting, that's super academic doesn't really fit into your plan, but I think you should try to take those courses anyway. Um, yeah, spend, spend a few of your credits on something that just seems really up your alley. That's yeah, okay. just, just seems like fun, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, so sort of getting that, that balanced coursework. So, cause I really liked some of the academic courses I took that were, have very little practical application. Mm. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of the, um, uh, technological perspectives or what is it? I can't even remember the title Socio -technical. anymore. Socio-technical. Socio-technical perspectives on information systems. That's what it was. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was a, it was a seminar based course where the six of us, uh, including the professor, just sat around and talked about how technology is changing us as human beings mm -hmm. and how we as human beings are using and changing technology. And then that's all it was. And it was amazing. Um, but, you know, and then I, but then, you know, you take things like database design, which is super practical and awesome. And you take things like cataloging. Yeah. Um, and then you create some kind of hole. Yeah. Which is different for every person too, especially yeah. in a program like ours that has such freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think there are other programs out there that have sort of streams that you have to choose and that yeah. can be a valuable thing. I think at some mm -hmm. points in our degree, I definitely was like, oh my God, why aren't I just in a yeah. stream? And then I wouldn't actually <laughs> be making these decisions. But you do get to make your degree yeah. more unique. and. And in a very practical sense, maybe the fact that you have both that socio-technical perspectives course and mm -hmm. the database design course on your, I mean, there's presumably only six people who are going to have that combination <laughs> on their resume, right? Well, and, I don't know if they're ever going to offer the course again because there were just five <laughs> of us that took it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's kind of my, kind of consider your courses and, mm -hmm. and consider the shape of the degree when you leave. And, and, and I, if, if, I, I really do stress a balance. I, I think a balance is really important. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Uh, so my number three is uh, is to take advantage of the opportunity to experiment with like different communications techniques and different mm -hmm. presentation techniques. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I think almost every course in our program had some kind of presentation component, mm -hmm. and people would definitely gripe about that. Uh, those were often group presentations and those are Dude. tough to cobble together. I loved presentations. I don't love presentations, but I find them like just they're, they're yeah. not hard. When <laughs> I, I think you as well, for different reasons, we mm. both had the advantage of coming into this program being pretty comfortable with public speaking. Oh, yeah. Because you've got a bit of a theater background mm. and because I have a teaching background. Yeah. But not everyone who comes into a degree like this is comfortable getting up and talking in front of a group. And by the That's time you're able to call yourself a librarian at the end of a year and a half or two years or whatever, you need to be comfortable doing that. Yeah. You need to be comfortable presenting at a board meeting or mm -hmm. teaching a new program to your colleagues or teaching a course to patrons or whatever. Mm -hmm. And just the sheer act of having those presentations that you have to do, I think helps you get to that point. But mm -hmm. you can also really make those presentations your own. Yeah. Like it's really an opportunity to 
experiment a little. I mean, mm-hmm. I did a couple of presentations and the first one, because I was in a group, I had to fight for this <laughs> with my group <laughs> members, but I did a couple where I was like, okay, I hate when people just throw up PowerPoints full of bullet points Ugh. and read the bullet points to you, right? Ugh. Which is a, a rookie mistake. And it's something that I think people who don't have a lot of presentation experience need to work through yeah. and they can use the opportunity of this degree to do mm-hmm. that. Um, but what we did was we did just images. Yeah. And we talked over the images. And it was a presentation on like comic books and graphic novels and so that lends development. Itself so it worked really well. well but. but I think you can do it with almost anything. I've done it mm-hmm. with other things. I think experimenting with having more dynamic content or experimenting with things like um, in our first term, we did a skit <laughs> as part of our uh, our reference uh, class yeah, yeah, that presentation. Was, that was one and of the best And we had no idea how that was going to go over. And as yeah. it turned out, our professor loved it because it was something different. Yeah. And because we really showed that we understood the sort of community aspect <laughs> of our project, right? Yeah. And we were trying to bring the group that we were developing a collection for to life. Um, and things like experimenting with different um, audience interact- uh, interaction techniques, yeah. like having activities for your classmates during a presentation or having a quiz or discussion questions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are all things that are going to be super valuable to you when it comes to having to engage an audience in some mm-hmm. kind of professional capacity. And I just can't stress enough how much I enjoyed the opportunity to play around with that Often because from my perspective, I was used to teaching children. And so you have to be a little more in control (laughs) in that. You have a large class of like 15-year-olds. Things have to be a little tighter and Mm -hmm. more tightly planned. But I had already kind of learned to to be a little loosey-goosey in those situations. And so when it came to teaching a class of my peers, I was able to be like, okay, let's do something a little more radical with getting people involved in this presentation and thinking Mm -hmm. about these ideas. And even when it didn't totally work, (laughs) it's still, it's a thing I learned more about doing that I can now pull out as a professional. And again, low stakes to try. Exactly. Low stakes to experiment with that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's a really great one. Yeah, no, some of the best presentations I, I did too were things where I was just like, I don't like how people do this. Let's do it differently. Yeah. <laughs> PowerPoint is becoming very passe in oh librarian God, circles I and I am glad of that. Yeah. <laughs> the Although only, Prezi gives me headaches. I was about to say, so. the only one I hate more than PowerPoint is Prezi, so. <laughs> okay, well, my, my fourth one is uh, about... Uh, kind of getting involved with your peers uh, mm. and your students. And it's about joining associations. So I got on this train a little bit late. I wish I would have gotten on the association train a little bit earlier, but my first term, um, the core for our program was was quite demanding. Mm-hmm. And I was planning my wedding. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was had been out of school for a little bit. So I was kind of um, a little overwhelmed. And then, and then the second term, I went into work. And, uh, like a second main term, I went, I went to work. And, uh, so then again, didn't really like, I was always busy when the meetings occurred. So mm-hmm. I didn't join them and I didn't really start joining the professional organizations until my last year. And I should have done that earlier because, um, they're so much fun. Uh, you really get to know people in your, in your group better and, um, you know, it can even lend itself to um, making some really great networking connections when you're through. I mean, um, the, the British Columbia Library Association is the one that I joined mainly and um, particularly within that, the academic librarian group. And um, 
yeah, it was great. <laughs> Once I actually did start getting involved, um, it was really awesome. And uh, I also joined ACIST, which is the Association uh, for Information Science and Technology, mm-hmm. um, which you dragged me into. <laughs> <laughs> which, we, we, it's a small but committed yeah. group. Yeah, ASIS small but UBC. committed group. And we just got ourselves a Raspberry Pi. So that's very exciting. Oh, so sad I missed that. I know. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, if you if you are a little bit of a go-getter, um, joining me, I never took an executive position, but, um, I did help do some volunteer and some organizing. I did take a chair position for a couple of things, but you know, the executive positions really aren't that demanding on your time. No, they're really not. I was the secretary of ACES for a full school year and yeah. really, you know, it was maybe an extra few hours a week of yeah. time and it's, yeah, it helped me make a lot of connections and helped mm-hmm. me get practice on running projects and writing proposals and things like that. And it's a great line on your resume. At the yeah. end. I keep coming back to that, but that's important too. Yeah. And, uh, but it all, yeah, you learn a lot. And so the executive positions don't take a lot of time. Um, and like I said, if you're in an executive position, it's likely that you're going to actually have to go out and connect with the people who are in the professional organization as professionals and not as students. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking of um, our, our two great, uh, so our academic libra- librarian group had two, um, two liaisons within and they actually got to go to all these meetings and, and meet all these people. Mm-hmm. And so now they're really well connected and I'm a little jealous of that. Uh-huh, so yeah. Um, yeah, definitely join associations. Um, the I'm sure if you're in the States, the ALA is probably the one you're going to want to go with. We have an ALA chapter up here as well. Um, and then BCLA and CLA were combined for us. So. Yeah. And honestly, if you're going to do it for a portion of your degree mm-hmm. and not for the whole thing, which is okay too, maybe do it the way Allie did. Because yeah. I got involved early, <laughs> but it meant that my involvement kind of tapered off at the end as I got busier with co-op work and looking yeah. for jobs and all of that. And so I have some of those connections to draw upon, but some of them have definitely, yeah, after a year, year and a half sort of dried up a little. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I jumped on the boat a little late for that one, but um, <laughs> I, I'm still really glad I did. That's awesome. Uh, okay, so again, actually kind of a good segue. Um, mine is is sort of about connecting with other librarians and like-minded people. I mean, I think one of the coolest things about library school, at least for me and I think for both of us, was stepping into this world full of people who were a lot more like us than most of the people that we knew before <laughs> we came to library school. Where have and, you been all um, my life? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> had that thought in our first year or so here. Uh, I still have it now. <laughs> I have all these new connections and friends and and, uh, and networks and whatever. And I think what's important is really to, to start delving into that. And you can do that in all kinds of ways. I mean, we've talked about a lot of the ways you can connect with pref- professors and whatever, but connect with the people that you meet over different projects. I mean, this project mm-hmm. with the Raspberry Pi, it was just a few people in ACES to realize they had a shared interest in learning how to use one of those things. Mm-hmm. And they had various different projects they wanted to do with it, but they were able to work together. Um, the Slicers Who Code group has now mm-hmm. started up, and that's another really interesting way of sort of people coming together because they want to learn this new thing and they know they can rely on each other to help them mm-hmm. do that. Um, and you can do this in all kinds of ways uh, online as well, which yeah. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this show know because by listening <laughs> to this show, you're engaging in this kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, but Tumblr is a fantastic library community. The Tumblrians mm. are invaluable. They're wicked I cool. mean, we all have a lot of fun on Tumblr <laughs> and that's important too. And I think that... Um, People have probably seen my blog slide laterally into more like Marvel and weird kitten pictures and whatever because I'm taking a little bit of a mental break right now. But, um, but 
But it really is amazing to just join this community of people who are doing all kinds of interesting work and just collect their ideas mm -hmm. and talk to them about their ideas. Um, I mean, Kate Jackett, right, the yep. librarian, was already kind of an intimidating figure within the library world when we became Tumblrians. Yeah. And she is definitely willing to talk back directly to us about yeah. things, to bounce ideas off of people. Totally. People send her asks all the time about mm -hmm. library school or about job opportunities or whatever. And yeah. I think the fact that we all, and I've had people ask me those kinds of questions too once mm -hmm. I became an established member of that community. And I think that more informal support group of just these people are like me, mm -hmm. I'm going to engage with them is yeah. really important, especially for those of us with kind of an introversion streak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I don't know, my, my fifth one is so connected to that one. Maybe I'll just segue in. Yeah, sure. Go yeah. for it. Uh, I think my other one is like take advantage of that that new network of people who are like you mm -hmm. <laughs> and who have the same goals as you um, in a professional way, mm -hmm. gathering ideas, sharing ideas, coming up with new projects together. But also don't forget to sort of use that new network of people as a way to have fun. Yeah. Right? These are people who are probably going to enjoy the same kinds of um, games or, you know, outings mm -hmm. or whatever as you. And so you have to take breaks yeah. <laughs> no matter how hard you're working on your degree <laughs> or in your job or whatever. Um, so why not take advantage of, yeah, this great sort mm -hmm. of new network of like-minded people that you've got and actually go to an event, go play a game, go get a drink. Like don't, don't discount those kinds of opportunities yeah. just because they're not really directly related to what you're trying to build for yourself. I think we all need to stop saying how much we hate networking. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it, they, have, they are words that I have uttered in my life. Mm -hmm. But you also have to realize that like networking doesn't always necessarily mean talking shop. I mean, you could be networking and discussing Marvel movies mm -hmm. or you could be networking and, and planning a board game night, you know, like, um, we all, it's, it's, I think it's one of these things where we all just need to have a collective recognition that we all, everybody hates networking. Nobody likes it. People hate so networking be because of it. the falsity of it, yeah. I think. And if you're really developing genuine connections with people because you're interested in the same things, because you want to end up where they are and you want to know how they mm -hmm. got there, uh, because you like spending time with them, yeah. like though that's all still networking and it's yeah. not a not a bad thing. It's not, yeah. it's not this greasy, oily, dirty thing that we yeah. all think we have to do. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean that's that's my it's my list of do's, I guess. So what are your last couple? My my last one is uh, kind of along that line, and it is the to, to go to things, mm -hmm. <laughs> to get involved by going to events, and you know this can be informal events like like pub nights, but it's also things like panels, uh, conferences, or or lectures, visiting lectures. Um, just just I mean I know we're all super busy. <laughs> There are enough hours in the day. You can you can take an hour and and go to a lecture and maybe maybe it's boring, but maybe the next one will be really interesting. And I can even I can even talk to this from my master's in English because we had um, we were forced yeah, that's to like go weekly or semi weekly colloquiums well, or something. Yeah, we were forced to go to these colloquia that were. Um, because they were organized by one particular professor who was our kind of grad coordinator, they always had a very kind of similar theme to them. And that was kind of the post-colonial literature study, which is a completely legitimate area of study, but just does not rock my casbah, you know, <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just not, uh, just, that's just not my area. And, um, we ended up going to my, one of my friends found this, um, this 
amazing lecture on Superman. And it was a, a guy who was coming in and giving a lecture about Superman, about Superman as a Jewish superhero. And it was really, really an incredible lecture. Um, he was engaging. Of course, the content was incredible. But this was not one of our required lectures. Mm. This was one that my friend found and said, isn't this cool? We should go to this. Well, and that's such a great opportunity too. Like I think we've talked a lot about the kinds of people that you mm -hmm. can run into in grad school and develop yeah. relationships with because you're there in this experience together. Mm -hmm. That's certainly why we were driven to start this podcast in the first place, yeah. right? Was that we realized we had access to all these so really cool interesting people. people. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the sort of add on to that is that you also get access to information about really interesting events that yep. are part of those kind of academic circles and totally. ordinarily you wouldn't necessarily hear about them. Yeah. And definitely take advantage of that. Um, because yeah, the, the panels that are organized are, are invaluable for information. The, Going to a conference was probably one of the coolest things I did. <laughs> the UCLA mm -hmm. yep. conference was so much fun. Um, and you know, if, if the lecture or the, or the panel sucks, then usually at least there's free food. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> at least you can get a horrible sandwich or And you've learned some something cookies. for if you're part of, you know, actually being on or organizing said panel in the future, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are those are kind of my five big five big do's. All right. And uh, then I, yeah, I came up with a couple of things to avoid. Okay. Not quite five, but uh, why don't you go first? Okay, I can start with one. Um, so my first kind of thing to avoid is sort of a partner question or partner idea to my balance your coursework mm. do um, is um, things to avoid is don't feel bad about bailing on a class. If it's, mm -hmm. if it's A, not up to your expectations and B, still within the drop period. Um, I think at UBC it was a two, two or three week drop period. And it's, it's hard when these grad school classes are once a week for three hours. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to get the feel of a course when you're in, um, in that first class. But, you know, read the syllabus, um, get a read on the professor or the instructor, kind of what they're doing. And no one's going to take it personally if you bail. Um, there are a couple of courses that I took um, that I kind of saw the horror coming and was too scared to, to jump ship. Yeah, the flip side of the smaller community and the better relationships with instructors is that, yeah, you feel mm -hmm. sort of, yeah, the first time around um, with cataloging, like I registered for cataloging this time last year mm -hmm. and ended up having to drop it. And I yeah. felt so bad yeah. because, again, it was Aaron and I already had a relationship with him. And yeah, yeah. but you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. And, and, you know, like you you only have so many credits. You only have so much time. There are so many courses at Slice that I wish I could have taken. Mm. You know, I would I would do another year if I could. Um, and I'm probably weird like that. But, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like if, if a course isn't isn't up to your standards don't feel bad about dropping it um also listen to friends about bad classes if you're talking to colleagues who've already been through a course and they were like "Ugh, no good mm. um that you know like take take in that information don't be afraid to share information about classes and finally kind of that one is if you're in a bad class if you're stuck you know if you didn't see it coming quite fast enough and now you're in it for the whole term um be brutal on your feedback forms and uh, yeah. if you don't have feedback forms, then, you know, go, you Insist can. Insist that your department start using feedback a. forms because they're really <laughs> important. Yeah. And, and B, um, you know, if you do something like I'm sure that your head of the head of your department would probably want to know if something really crummy is going on. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, if you're if you're stuck in a bad class, uh, make your voice heard, make your make your objection mm -hmm. known. So, yeah, because mine sort of 
it's a couple parts to it, but it's really only one. Do you want to finish off yours? Oh, sure. Yeah, I can definitely do that. Um, so my other two are just kind of uh, smaller ideas, smaller points. Um, these degrees can be really hard and there can be a lot to do. Um, and so my kind of one is to to avoid burnout by setting realistic expectations for yourself mm-hmm. and and your priorities. Like like learn when it may not be quite as important for you to read that particular article or learn how to skim, um, you know, you take care of yourself pretty much because yeah. there were times when I was just trying to to do it all because I, did, I didn't want to let anybody down. And, um, you know, if, if you're working, if you're working so hard that you're putting yourself at risk for anything, that's not good. So yeah. avoid burnout. And I think all of us went through periods yeah. like that during this degree. And Absolutely. Yeah, you can avoid those. And there, you know, we, we, we both have seen people flame out of the program mm-hmm. and it, it can definitely happen. So, you know, take, take care of yourself, set realistic goals. Um, and the, my last one is, um, don't take a setback personally. Like if there's a job you don't get or a grade that, that wasn't quite up to snuff or um, something like that. You realize that one of the things about connecting with all of these new people is you realize they are all awesome people. Yeah. And oftentimes if there is some kind of... it's not nice to think about, you're sometimes in competition with them. You are going to be in competition and, and, you know, if if they do get that job, you know, be happy for them and move on. Mm -hmm. Don't try not to take things personally because I know that's a problem that I have about a lot of things <laughs> I tend to take on that responsibility I've and definitely it's, done that too. it's something yeah. I'm trying to work on to be a better adult human so <laughs> um yeah so if you if you face a challenge and you get knocked down a little bit um ain't never going to keep you down you get knocked <laughs> down and you you get up again that was like four different songs, just, just gonna, all matching. No, it was all Chumbawamba, man. Anyway. <laughs> so those are those are my kind of things to avoid. Um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. What about yeah. you, Sam? Um, so I sort of, you know, I I tried to keep this to a minimum because it's, you know, it's nice to say uh all the good things first. But I think the the bad one, the one that I would say avoid is avoid saying yes to everything. Mm. I mean, I think my issue was at the beginning of this degree, I just wanted to say yes to every volunteer opportunity and every mm-hmm. class and every job and every opportunity to hang out with all these cool people I had just <laughs> met. And that definitely can lead to burnout. And not yeah. just to burnout, but also even if you're really good at juggling all those things, it really leads to to dabbling. It leads to just mm-hmm. doing a little bit of each of those things and yeah. really not doing any of them to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's okay to say no, but it's also okay to say maybe mm-hmm. in the sense of like renegotiating the way yeah. things are going to work, right? Yeah. I mean, I had a term where I ended up, um, thankfully, <laughs> um, with two different research assistantships at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I was also trying to take two classes at the same time. I think I had, was registered for th- three classes maybe. that term. and. I really wanted to say yes to all of these things. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was I was sort of doing a little bit of each one. And so in the second term, when both of those jobs continued a little, I ended up kind of actually having personal conversations with kind of both of those professors I was working for and talk about getting a chunk of work done over Christmas in lieu of you know getting it done during the exam period mm-hmm. or taking a little longer on a particular project or whatever. And obviously sometimes that's not going to work, but sometimes it can. I mean, if they want you on board because they think you can contribute something to the project, they'll often be a little flexible. So it's okay Mm -hmm. to sort of try and make those opportunities work for you versus just, oh, I have to do whatever the timeline is that's set out because that's what's set out. Um, That term, I also ended up dropping a course after the drop date. 
Mm-hmm. So I have a W, which at UBC <gasps> means that you've, you know, Shameful. withdrawn from a shame. And that's a really important thing I learned too, that like, yeah. it's okay to say no, even when it seems like it's too late to yeah. say no. Um, and I mean, I'd rather not have that W, but unless I'm applying to a PhD program, which it's I'm not, not really in the matter. near future, yeah. no one cares that that's on my transcript. And mm-hmm. even if I do decide to do something one day that requires that transcript, all I have to do is explain why I have that W, which is I had two jobs and they were both directly related to my degree mm-hmm. and I couldn't handle all of it. So I had to let something go. Yeah. And that's a perfectly reasonable explanation. That's so, totally legitimate. Yeah. You know, I think... Um, yeah, don't make the mistake of saying yes to too many things because you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to give them all the energy that they deserve. So it is it is sort of a a choosing. Game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's 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 it for me. That's, yeah, that's it for yeah. me too. Um, overall, I I loved doing this degree. I really did. Um, I'm kind of sad for that it's over. I'm mm-hmm. probably the only one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was ready for the academic parts of it to be over, but yeah. the experience of, yeah, being part of that community, I mean, I hope that doesn't end because we've yeah. gotten all these great connections and new friendships and whatever mm-hmm. out of it. But, uh, but yeah, and that's the nice thing about being in a relatively small profession, I guess, is that mm-hmm. we get to continue to be part of that community and in just different ways and, you know, positions of more responsibility, hopefully, and more cash flow, hopefully. <laughs> So should we should we finish off with the UBC fight song? I don't know the UBC fight I, song. I don't know the fight song either. <laughs> I know it exists, but I don't know what it is. Um, so yeah, so tweet at us or email us or Tumblr at us or whatever if you have things to add to the mm-hmm. list of do's and don'ts. If you have questions or whatever, bits of advice from you, that would yeah. be fantastic. It's conversations like that that make me remember why we started a podcast in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's not a whole lot going on in our social media landscape this week. Um, we got a couple of really nice tweets from Alan Cho, who's a, a librarian out at UBC. Um, he said he loved the podcast. So that's, that's he said, keep up the great work. Always um, nice to hear, just, especially from what, people with whom we don't, you know, live. Yeah. And it's, uh, <laughs> that's not what he sounds like. That was probably uh, rude. Um, we were also, um, one of our friends from, uh, from Mozilla has put one of the cards up on the fridge at Mozilla. So we actually have yes you a, may have caught our yeah. tweet earlier in the week about how we're on the fridge at mozilla vancouver oh it's terribly exciting <laughs> um so thanks again deeth for for the support at mozilla oh yeah that's that's really great um is there anything else going on uh well if you want to show your support for the show um you can tweet at us uh you can send us an email which mm-hmm. i don't think anyone has ever done. oh grace did we've got a couple of emails <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> email it's not yeah. what the young kids are doing anymore these days we need to get a snap chat uh no we don't okay <laughs> fair enough um, although i don't know mid-episode vines might be a way to go <laughs> uh you can also send us a tumblr ask i as those of you who follow me on tumblr know i am pretty much on tumblr like six hours a day so yep. i will get your ask don't worry mm, yep. <laughs> and uh yeah you can also you know just shout at us in the street if you happen to mm-hmm. see us yeah, uh and good. all of that can be found at sslibrarianship.com except for i guess specific contact information for yeah. shouting at us in the street that's only mildly creepy by happenstance yeah, yeah. for sure uh <laughs> and i guess all that's left is as always to say thank you to jonathan colton for the use of our theme song glasses off the album artificial heart uh we're booking our cabins like next <laughs> week melanie's told me it has a window yeah mm-hmm. it was between no window and like balcony or something and we, okay. we just the balcony was too rich for our blood mm. so well we get a window good. yeah <laughs> well i guess that's it for us this week then guys um it's may 
I think I think winter's over. I think I'm not going to jinx it, but I think. Don't anyway. do that to us. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's just, we'll, we'll erase it. It'll never happen. Um, <laughs> but either way, you guys uh, have a great week, and we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. So much to say, I